power on. Accessing historical database. Year 2020. The tech giants become aware of the greatest threat to their corporatist domination. An obscure science and tech podcast becomes a major factor in a peaceful open source revolt against the military Silicon Valley industrial complex. The podcast, Sovereign Tech. Its host, Dr. Brian Sovereign. The tech giants try to stop Sovereign Tech. They can't. Woo! Hotter than Beelzebub's balls, baby. <laughs> it is, uh, well, supposedly, you know, what it feels like, right? Which, that always kills me. What besides this heat? <laughs> it always kills me. If it feels like it's 102 outside, then it's fucking 102 degrees outside, right? <laughs> it's not. It's not 92 or 94 or whatever. No, no, I understand why they do that to be particular and and so on. But fucking a. Anyway, oh, do we got a lot to get into in this episode? In fact, we can start off this episode of Sovereign Tech, and of course, you are being joined by none other than the Golden Stallion, the Man of Tomorrow, Savzu, the Rated R Radio Star. Ready to bring it all on for another couple hours this week. We got to start off with the strange things happening at Microsoft. Some of this news that is a little bit on the older side, but also that has occurred, that has now occurred since it was uh, announced. So at the very least, we don't have to speculate, right? We know it happened. Uh, but starting it off with a little Microsoft news. Windows. I know suddenly there's just collective laughter everywhere, <laughs> but windows, not exactly windows 10, but windows 10 X. Uh, there has been of course, a lot of delays in ideas that Microsoft has had, obviously due to our present, uh, I wanted to call it a viral climate, but due to our present climate, let's put it that way. Um, but Windows 10 X. Now, if you haven't heard about this, I think we did briefly touch on it when it was first announced. And this is an idea that they've been toying with for a while, where it's a much more modular Windows and does not require the massive kernel that that Windows, you know, has and has built up. Uh, over the decades, you don't even say years, you say decades when it comes to windows, a kernel and basically an overall code base of the operating system that has led to many of the problems that have, uh, become easy fodder. And dare I say the laughing matter, as long as it didn't delete your data personally, um, of 2020. And well, really, I mean, come on, windows has been a laughing stock since for a good while. Uh, I think the last time windows was really taken seriously as in 
Like, no, we use Windows, you know, and you had no problem kind of saying that was probably back in the Windows XP days. But regardless, um, you have now Windows 10 X and the original release schedule for Windows 10 X to get people excited about this. And we'll talk more about what it is, but but let's let's describe it. And I want to talk about because I actually had people email into the show. And you can email questions at SovereignTech.com. I had people email into the show saying, what do you think of Windows 10 X? Like they, they couldn't grasp who exactly this was for. And so I kind of want to touch on that. We have a totally, when we get to the uh, questions segment of the show, we have something totally different to get into. But anyway, the code name internally for Windows 10 X is either, it has two. One is light, L-I-T-E, which of course makes sense because ultimately that's what this is, is Windows 10 Lite, uh, or Santorini is what has been going around for a while. Um, now this, what what's going on in the news about this is that originally it was supposed to be the first device that was going to take advantage of it to some degree was, well, you had the dual screen Surface Neo that's been postponed, but it was going to be on that. Um, now they're looking at instead it's going to come out. Cause I think that was supposed to come out later this year. Instead, that's going to be coming out, uh, or it's going to be used in devices. Devices will be available with windows 10 X operating on it comes spring of 2021. That's sort of the news. Now, as far as being available for more single screen devices and for dual screen devices, and you got to understand, like there are so many, when they say dual screen devices, they don't necessarily mean like, you know, phones that fold up that have two screens on them or something. We're talking about the class of device that's coming that I think has been on the way for a while. And there have been varying experiments in it uh, where your second screen, I mean, and to some degree they're already out there, but the second screen is going to be, you know, it's going to be a clamshell like a laptop and you open it up. One screen can be the display. I suppose they can interchange. And the other is going to be like the other screen is going to be the keyboard that you type on. And they've gotten to the point where that's somewhat feasible uh, to do. Of course, I mean, the, uh, the issue in the past, why you didn't have more, um, you know, well, I mean, touchscreen keyboards have been a thing forever on smartphones, but why they haven't been a thing so much on laptops is partly because of multi-touch points, right? But I mean, a lot of that's been resolved and whatever. So what's interesting about this is that it's not even really interesting. There's nothing actually very interesting about this at all. Basically, it's Windows 10 S rebranded. Okay, now if you remember Windows 10 S, that was an attempt at taking on really Chromebooks. And Windows 10 X, I think, is ultimately trying to do the same thing. Because where Chromebooks is a very real winner, uh, or where I should say where Chromebook is a real is a, is a real winner, is in education, enterprise, and so on. And for good reason. Fuck Google, but for good reason, the Chromebook is big in those spaces. Now, Windows 10 X, much like Windows 10 S, can only run UWP and web apps. Or, I mean, really, UWP is not the, the platform that it once was, right, when, when Windows 10 S, you know, gave a stab at it. Um, there is not, but anyway, most things are progressive web apps now. So really, when you say UWP and web apps, it's kind of the same thing. So you cannot run Win32 binaries on this, at least at first. Supposedly down the line, you will be able to run Win32 binaries in a secure container, basically everything being sandboxed, something similar you know, to Cubes OS. And, and actually, in enterprise editions of Windows 10, 
this feature already exists where apps can be run, uh, in, including Win32 apps, can effectively be run in a sandbox to secure it from the rest of the operating system and other apps. Uh, Edge, Microsoft Edge. Actually, I'm not sure how this is working with Credge. I'm going to assume that it is because Edge, the web browser, before it became Chromium uh, or Chromium-based, did allow did run in a in a sandbox which is a great move you know and in many ways chrome already did so again i'm not sure to what degree how that's operating as microsoft transitioned to uh to chromium with edge now so there's nothing really that special here okay there's nothing that different going on here um and also it's kind of a a morphing away from well, morphing into, because I'm sure they want this to be a part of it, the always on PC, uh, which, or, or was it always connected PC? We talked about that, that that could have been a very new category. That's something that's still coming that Intel's working on. And even Chromebooks are taking advantage of that. Basically where a laptop functions in the abstract, much more like a smartphone. Um, but with Windows 10X, again, it really is just Windows 10S. It is a lighter, more secure version of Windows. And who is this for? Well, it's for exactly who they're selling it to initially. And that is businesses, education, uh, you know, hospitals. I mean, all those different areas. The irony is, okay, now, I mean, the purpose there is to be more secure, right? Because those in those areas, you can't have a most of, you know, most industry in general does not at all need 90% of, you know, what the windows kernel is putting on offer or what the operating system overall is putting on offer, having an operating system. That's a little more modular. I, I mean, the, the thing is, is that there's a lot of industry that requires very specific app or software that they've probably been using for decades, as long as windows has been around. That's where they run into a problem. And so they do eventually have to get into the space where they are, where it, it's possible to run Win32 binaries. I'm amazed that they don't just try and find a way to, you know, where they could just sell, okay, yeah, we will run, you know, we'll, we'll go through the process of getting your specific software needs, you know, win 32 binary software needs for say a business or whatever. We'll find a way to get that to operate within windows 10 X, but this is really where you want to be. And you just use that very specific software. Um, is this going to do well, you know, overall, I mean, again, we know, we know what it's for and what it's about is that we're seeing you know, with, with varying cyber attacks and so on, we are seeing where running full-blown windows for no good reason is ultimately harmful to, I don't like to, to think this way, but whatever, but for civilization in general. Right. And I've made the argument that, okay, fine. You run windows, you know, it, it, when we're talking the enterprise space and at home, but, you know, Windows does not belong in the home, right? We've been saying that many, many times over the past uh, quite a few episodes throughout 2020. Windows has no place in the home. Um, so I can see where, okay, we're going to refine Windows to where it even makes more sense and is more secure within the enterprise space. Now, I don't know what is exactly, I mean, it can't just be because Chromebooks are becoming a thing. Uh, in fact, really, Chromebook, and we talked about this recently, Chromebooks being able to run Windows software, which is coming. Okay. Right. That's supposed to be coming this fall. Actually. Uh, 
I mean, that, that, that again makes Windows 10X basically meaningless. And I really think that we're looking at, I mean, you know, Google with working with, uh, who is it, Parallels that they're working with to get Microsoft software running on Chromebooks. I believe that's what we were talking about. I, you know, I can see, Google realizes that in the enterprise space, look, there are people that are just going to fucking run Office. You know, they're going to run Microsoft Office and there's nothing we can do about it. We're never going to convert those people, right? There are people who are going to run Adobe, Photoshop, CS2, or whatever the fuck. We're not going to convert those people. Okay, we just got to make it run on our platform and that's the end of the day. But again, especially with the delay of this, it doesn't appear to be any delay in Google's plans for Chromebook being able to run Microsoft software you know, I mean, yes, it's through parallels through, through some degree of, of emulation, but it's, it's, it's fairly native for what it is. It's not like anybody's going to be installing anything separately to be able to get, uh, uh, you know, windows software running, um, on a Chromebook. But that, that's just, that's making 10 X completely pointless, like totally redundant. I just cannot see where anybody's going to fall for that. As soon as Chromebooks hit the streets that can instantly run all of this uh, Windows software. I mean, fuck, you know, even with, frankly, I mean, because there's an, I'll tell you what Microsoft should have been doing. And in fact, they're completely backing away from this. And that, that actually leads into another more changes that I wanted to talk about here in the foreplay, where we talk about all the little stories going on in tech. Uh, the, the direction that Microsoft could have gone where they could have made some money and I understand that everybody's going to cloud and whatever. And so maybe they didn't see the point to this. Like they have X cloud and you know, you have the, uh, the Xbox game pass for even for PC, which, um, I think I talked about, maybe I talked about on a tie fighter renegades. Maybe I talked about on a sovereign tech, but I mean, what an incredible deal. I, I, I know maybe it was last time that, that, uh, Ellen was on, we talked about that, but anyway, if you made a gaming version of windows specifically to appeal to gamers, and this is a thing that you can do, right? I mean, you, you really, really can like lighten up a lot of the shit that's going on in the background with micro, you know, with windows that you don't need. I mean, windows 10 X, in fact, it would have been a great name to call it windows 10 X and that be a gaming plat, you know, more of a gaming uh, operating system that can do all the little other, you know, computer shit that you want to do because you know, if it's in line with like the Xbox series X or something, Making a version of Windows that is appealing to enterprise. I mean, this is a fool's errand because again, with Chromebook being able to run most enterprise software come this fall of 2020, there's not even, I mean, I've been making the argument, okay, fine. I get it. You have this one weird piece of software that you want to use for your profession that only runs on, on windows. So, okay, run, you know, go ahead and run windows at the office, but, or, you know, at, at, at work or even though where the fuck's that now, right? With COVID-19, but you know, at home run, whatever the fuck else, just for fuck's sake, please don't run windows. Okay. You know, let's, let's do security first from now on, as far as PCs go. But you know, even that argument dies with Chromebook working with parallel, you know, with, with Google working with parallels to bring, you know, windows software to, to Chromebooks again. So, but now that said, now we know that also Google is working with steam to or with Valve, who operates Steam, the largest gaming platform, certainly on PC, but really overall uh, in the world. Now that you know they're they're working with with uh, with Steam with Valve to get Steam functioning on Chromebooks as well. Not to get into gaming news here in the onset, we can talk about gaming shit later. But 
I, I mean, just you, you got to grasp this again. Fuck Google. But Chromebook is making Windows PCs utterly fucking meaningless. OK, and you can say, well, but, you know, I'm a power user. Everybody needs a computer today, which isn't exactly true. I mean, unless you want to count smartphones as a computer. But I mean, I, I would kind of agree that if a person wants to do normal things, it feels like one needs a smartphone or a computer, whatever. But regardless, you can say, well, I'm a, you know, I'm a power user, right? And Chromebooks just aren't enough for me. I can't do enough on them. I can't get nitty gritty like I want. Now, even that isn't exactly accurate because you can get uh, deep into, in fact, with Crostini, which is interesting that that sounds a lot like Santorini, which Crostini is how you run Linux on. Uh, it's not Crouton. Crostini is, is different. Uh, how, how you could run Linux on a Chromebook and run Linux uh, software. But then Santorini is the 10 X is the competitor for the Chromebook. Hmm, I wonder about that. But anyway, that just came to mind. I don't mean to, to get sidetracked there. So, I mean, you can get more nitty gritty. A developer can go nuts with a Chromebook. Not my point though. Okay. My point is, is that, okay, you are a power user, but sort of like I was just hinting at most people get away just fine with a smartphone and they just want whatever fucking app or service that they want to run. They just want it to work and they don't want to think about it very much. They are not interested. The average person. Yes. Everybody's interconnected. Yes. Everybody has a computer in their pocket. Quote unquote. Everybody's got a laptop. Everybody's got this blah, blah, blah. Everybody's got a million screens around them. Yada, yada, yada. But very few people on this fucking planet, as much as I wish it was the exact opposite has any fucking clue how any of it works wouldn't know what to do if they saw a command line and so on. So they don't care. A Chromebook is the perfect computer for them. You understand. And ultimately in a, in a conventional and I keyword conventional in a conventional sense, I'm almost happy for it just because that's a far more secure platform than Microsoft is. And again, 10 X there's just, there's just not, not enough available there. So I mean, it's amazing what Chromebook's going to be able to do to, to basically run just about anything from any other platform. Uh, yeah, people are going to flock to these things. And sure, Parallels at first is being baked into a Chromebook is going to be a business thing first, just like 10X, Windows 10X is a business thing first. Uh, but that's going to it's going to trickle down eventually. And all you got to do is take it home. And most of us are working from home anyway uh, these days. So you're just going to have that functionality there and people just aren't going to care. I mean, Windows... You could say through fault of its own, I mean, in, in many ways due to its, you know, complexity of its kernel code base, uh, you know, due to the rampant failures of the update process and so on. I mean, I, I think it's going to, it's killing itself. I don't even have to come on the show and say to you, hey, stop using Windows, because I think it's just going at this rate, it's just going to happen, especially what's going on with uh, with Chromebook. And the fact that really the last bastion of real need for a lot of power with a Windows machine, that being gaming, PC gaming, right? I mean, that's going cool. Again, once Chromebooks with, with uh, the ones that run specifically uh, 10th generation Intel chips, those are going to be able to run Steam. And I mean, you know, a lot of Chromebooks are getting awfully powerful. And then this makes an argument for Chromeboxes and whatever else. I mean, I... I think for a lot of gamers, they're very particular about what hardware they use and so on. A lot of people like to do PC builds and, and all of this. And part of Chromebook's you know appeal, the reason why Chromebook is so secure is because 
the hardware generally that you buy for a Chromebook, be it a laptop or even a Chrome box, you know, like something that, that sits on your desktop, uh, has to be approved by Google. There, there is no tinkering. So you do run into that, but then I think also a lot of your hardcore gamers are all PC gamers are shifting over to, are finally shifting over to Linux. Linux isn't exactly there yet. I don't know when it's going to get there exactly, but the fact that Microsoft is not, they are missing it. Okay. They are really, really missing it. They, they could be appealing, appeasing this, the PC master race, as it were, they could be appeasing that group who spends a, you know, an ass ton of money on their kit. And instead of doing that, they, <laughs> I mean, I get it. They, they can't, they can't give up the battle, right? As far as like with the enterprise space, but they're never going to lose. I mean, where they're really making the money is with office three, six or Microsoft three. Now Microsoft 365, that's what it's called now. You know, that that's, that's where the real bread and butter is. It's everything else is, is over. Okay. And I don't even, we don't even need to talk like gaming consoles. Cause of course, Xbox is a whole other, a whole other beast. But anyway, we've been talking about this for a while. I mean, the other thing that's going on is now Microsoft has both canceled and, and this, this is relevant. They canceled mixer, which is basically their version of Twitch. And they're just going to bake it into Facebook gaming. And, and they are also, I think that, that went, that died just a few days ago, July 22nd. And then also they are closing all of their, all but four of their retail stores. They're going to have a store, I think in New York, there's another one in London. There's one, of course, in Redmond. And then I forget where the other one is, but all of those, all the Microsoft stores are shutting down. Now, is that Microsoft getting out of hardware? I mean, and Apple stores are trying to figure out what to do now too, because, you know, they were supposed to be like the place for everybody to get together and hang out. Right. Which, you, you know, when, when you get people who get really conspiratorial, um, I mean, we live under corporatism. That is a fact, right? Corporations and government all mixed together. That that's an, that's just a fact. And it's been that way forever, if not just, or at the very least a very long time. Um, you know, to say that somehow COVID was this big plan, blah, blah, blah. And that like Apple and Google were in on it and whatever. Uh, I mean, COVID really fucked Apple's plans. Apple was, was banking hard. I mean, how many hires did they do to bring in people to design their stores to be like these places where, you know, everybody can hang out and blah, blah, blah. I mean, COVID has basically killed those plans. Uh, they, they don't, you know, they don't know what to do as far as that goes. And Microsoft was looking to copy uh, Apple's, you know, uh, uh, their plans as far as what the Apple stores would be, you know, them being like, like almost like a Starbucks, but for computers, or I mean, Starbucks is basically already an Apple store. Anyway, if you look at, if you walk into one or in the past, um, but Microsoft is looking to copy that, but now they're shutting everything down. I mean, that's a lot of money wasted. It, it's to say that these companies were all in on it. I mean, there's lots of people taking advantage of it, but come on, this notion that it was some kind of overarching plan. No, Sorry, <laughs> not, not happening anyway. So mixer is getting shut down again, Microsoft missing the fucking point. They should be doubling down on gaming right now because Chromebook is coming to eat away everything they're doing everywhere else. Okay. You don't gaming and office is all Microsoft's got right now. That's going to make any kind of sense in the world. Uh, and, and I guess, you know, in office would include like Skype for teams, which is also growing in, in prevalence. 
Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm shocked by this. So shutting down the stores and mixer. I mean, this is a, a major plan shift, uh, for Microsoft. I mean, and, and it's, you know, the one part of COVID that makes this scary is that there's, I mean, now they said that when the, when the retail store shut down for Microsoft, they said that, well, you know, we didn't fire anybody over this, or it, it appeared that they didn't fire anybody and everybody's just going to do like remote work, customer service and so on maybe be like uh like geek squad for best buy or, or something along those lines. Um, but that's not true everywhere in Microsoft's world. Like with MSN on MS with them not MSNBC, but MSN um, they're turning more and more over to algorithms, you know, and, and, and weak AI um, and they're firing people by the hundreds, if not more. And I say it's scary because all of this points at, I mean that eventually, and I mean, this was going to happen anyway. Okay. COVID really seems to just be accelerating a lot of, uh, a lot of long-term plans and fucking with long-term plans as well. I mean, it's accelerated some it's, it's canceled others. Uh, for example, like I said, the Apple stores, right. And what we're in mind for those. Um, but I mean, you're going to see like with Microsoft, which is a massive company, you're just going to see huge, huge layoffs. I'm just, they're, they're coming. Hell, they could come next month uh, because all of this coming together is going to hurt them. 10 X is not going to swoop in and save the day. It's not going to save the day in spring of 2021. It's not going to save the day when it becomes more widespread in 2022. It's just not going to happen. So the changes at Microsoft, this is a much more than retail stores getting closed mixer, getting shut down, Windows 10X becoming a thing and so on. I mean, this is a, a dramatic shift happening at that company. And these are just more pieces of that puzzle. Um, again, I don't feel I even have to say anymore, stop using Windows. I don't have to tell you that. It's, it's, it's dying on its own. And Microsoft's not going to die, but it's going to be a very different company in very short order. Uh, and well, anyway, I mean, I mean, and Google even knows like that, that Microsoft's not going to go away, that their software is not going to go away, but their operating system will along with many other things. And again, they are just completely missing the demographic that I, and you know, it, it's funny too, because like Mixer, I read some of the numbers uh, of the user base. It point, and I've made this point with, with many different apps and games and pieces of software. Any, any other company would kill for those numbers, hundreds of thousands of users, even tens of thousands of users, whatever. There are so many development teams that, I mean, really they would kill to get their hands on, you know, or to, to have that kind of user base like Mixer had. And, you know, Microsoft just shuts it down. It was, it was an acquire uh, or an acquisition by, by Microsoft anyway, but they just shut it down. And this is the thing is that these companies, I mean, for, for their projects to make sense and to, you know, for it to make sense on their spreadsheets for these massive fucking companies, you just, you have to have the craziest amounts of numbers. I mean, you have to have millions of users. You have to have, you know, these just insane metrics that in my opinion are not sustainable. And that's another thing that I feel like COVID's really bringing to bear is that now, I think that there's some, in fact, this, this segues into, into another, uh, another point that I want to bring up um, that has to do with Samsung, really. But there, 
the bubble in Silicon Valley was supposed to pop years ago. Okay. Maybe like 2013, 2014, something like that. It was supposed to pop. Blockchain came in and saved it. And I don't, I don't just mean Bitcoin. I mean, blockchain in general came in and, and brought in now Bitcoin is real money, but <laughs> blockchain and a lot of shit coins and whatever else basically uh, brought in, you know, a lot of fake money. Okay. Don't confuse me. Bitcoin is absolutely real money. It's as, it's as real. In fact, it's more real than just about any money out there. Uh, so, because it actually has like, you know, excellent use. And uh, anyway, where do we don't need to sidetrack into that argument, but that saved Silicon Valley, right? With all these stupid, uh, ICOs and, and, you know, security token offerings and all this other shit. Um, you are now in many ways getting saved by or Silicon Valley is in many ways getting saved by the, the promise of 5g. Now it's interesting because COVID is effectively for, or the argument is being made and really it's just marketing. And as somebody who is in marketing and PR, I know, I know what it looks like when I see it, I know it very well. Why? Because I'm the one usually writing it. Not for this shit. I wouldn't dare. I have some fucking principles. But you have a lot of companies who are right now and, and you're reading it. Of course, they're they're you know, they're not telling you that they're paid for stories, but they're largely paid for stories where you have uh, companies, including tech giants who are paying, you know, pick the the news outlet. And. You know, saying that, well, we need 5G right now, like we need 5G in the health industry, we need it here, we need it there, blah, blah, blah. This is what could actually save us from covid, blah, which no, it cannot <laughs> making people smarter. And that does not come from, you know, the quicker transmission of information. It comes from the quality transmission of information. And there is no, there's 5g is not going to guarantee proper dissemination. Okay. Like that, that's horseshit. 5g isn't going to save anybody's life. That's, that's crap. That's like saying fitness trackers are going to save people's lives. And oh, 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 quick side note. Anyone else catch the story that now the EU is sweating the fact that, well, Google might end up using all that data that they bought when they acquired Fitbit from all the Fitbit devices that you wear. And I mean, why, what's the argument? Why would the EU say that that's, that's some kind of a danger? That's some kind of threat. Oh, because it's privacy implications and that data can and will be used against, uh, you know, everyday citizens, as it were. Gee, that's funny. I, I was pretty sure I said that about, uh, uh, you know, wrist trackers, <laughs> which is effectively what they are. Uh, I'm pretty sure I said that about wearables and wrist trackers long before Google, you know, was, was looking at Fitbit. Okay. Well, I'm glad the, I'm glad, or no, I'm not glad about the government doing anything. I'm an anarchist, but I'm glad the government finally, some government finally caught on at the threat around this. Now it's ironic that they look at Fitbit and they're like, well, Google might add this into search and what they, they think that, you know, 5g getting plugged in. Cause you got, you got to understand what 5g is about. 5g has nothing to do with a benefit to you. 5g has to do with deferring the cost of data transmission and data storage and trying to make that cheaper. Now is that, you know, so I mean that like that has nothing to do with you somehow getting a better experience. Not at all. Um, it is also something that 
you know, is used, yes, to collect because both of those things, better data storage, better data transmission allows more data and more data points to be collected about you. Where does the money come in for that? Does it get sold off to, you know, advertisers and whatever else? Sure. Okay. But even this is just really a fake technology. I mean, it's real as in like it can do some of what it says. The marketing hype around it is horseshit. And I'm not here saying that, you know, I'm not in some camp saying, well, 5G is, is going to kill all of us and it's spreading coronavirus. I'm, I'm not saying anything of the sort. Okay. What I'm saying to you is that 5G is the new buzzword, the new thing that every company gets to work on that appeases investors and so keeps them investing and ultimately staves off the Silicon Valley bubble from popping. All right. That's why everybody's so hot about 5G. All the claims that they're making about it are, I mean, what it can technically do, sure. But the applications that a lot of them are talking about are absolute horseshit and ultimately harmful more from a privacy perspective, not necessarily from a uh, more uh, from a physical health perspective, even though, you know, privacy and physical health are absolutely related. But here's the rub that, and again, COVID is kind of accelerating a lot of this, right? Because there are like China is wanting to double down on 5G right now. A lot of companies are wanting to double down on 5G. We're going to get into what Samsung's doing here in just a second. Okay. But none of 5G is not going to stop the bubble from popping. In fact, while COVID may accelerate the implementation of 5G, even though, again, the argument is, is that it's not because people can't afford to buy a new phone. And so, in fact, we're going to get into this in one of our main stories about AT&T forcing people to dump their old phones if they want to stick with AT&T. But the more, shall we say, precise and faster data that 5G is going to allow for, I think is going to pull the rug out from underneath Silicon Valley. Because, and I mean, are you just going to be left with the tech giants? Yeah, pretty much, because they're the only ones that can afford it. But granted, even they are going to change shape and are going to be, you know, have, there's going to be massive layoffs and firings. I mean, it's just going to be insane. Because that better data is eventually going to show potential advertisers, hey, wait a minute, your numbers are all horseshit. Like, where are you even getting, you know, where, where's the ROI? We don't have the ROI that your, that your 5G data is supposedly, you know, saying about us. And so eventually it's going to pull the rug out from underneath, you know, from underneath. And in fact, I wonder if the, shall we say the tech giants, which, you know, we often talk about the sinister six, right? Which Samsung is one of them, you know, Facebook, Amazon, Microsoft, Apple, so on. I often, I wonder if, so what was announced and there, there was a, a paper sent out to, or an announcement, a press release of sort, a media re a release of sorts sent out to investors, you know, with Samsung and so on, where they said they are already getting ready for, believe it or not. And, and it's funny that nobody's calling crap on Samsung about this, but they are, they already have plans for 6G. Samsung already has their sights on this. It's not even a technical standard yet. There's no numbers to talk about. They just know that this is going to be the next iteration after 5G. Now, the part that annoys me now, now fuck big orange, you know, slap nuts in chief in office. Okay. Screw that guy. I'm not going to defend him for a second. I think it's hilarious though, that Trump comes out and says, we want 6G. People make fun of him. Nobody's making fun of Samsung at all for saying that they're getting ready for 6G. That doesn't, that doesn't even, that doesn't make any sense. And I mean, and it just shows that, that people, 
well, how reactionary people are and they're just going along with the crowd and they don't actually have any genuine knowledge or care or concern over the implications of a lot of this future technology. Regardless, so Samsung is certainly interested and they are looking uh, towards it and their announcement, uh, the direct quote, in fact, I, I have a link in the show notes. Um, they're saying there will be new advanced services in the 6G era, which require a tremendous amount of real-time data processing, a hyper-fast data rate, and extremely low latency. Now, what they're talking about, because they, they break it down into it, first off is they're saying that there will be commercialization of 6G will come as, in their words, as early as 2028. That's the way they phrase it. And then it'll have massive commercialization, as in the you know, consumers and whoever else would have access to it by 2030. Now, what they are looking at for this is what they're calling XR, which is the new term for MR, you know, mixed reality, where it's virtual, augmented, you know, whatever. They, they, they're looking for holographic displays, all this stuff that they're expecting by 2028. Now, as, as a child of the 80s and 90s, I can tell you, I remember reading in, in the magazines that, oh, video uh, uh, watches, you know, and I'm talking about, like, I read this in 1987 or something, video watches, or 1988, will be on your wrists by 1992. That did not happen, folks. <laughs> the idea that you're watching TV on your watch. Uh, in fact, that really hasn't happened until just the past few years. So while Samsung might be, uh, you know, kind of a bit ahead of itself, um, it does point at where these companies are, are going. And in fact, it A, proves a theory that Sovereign Tech has had for a while. And it also points at, it, there's, there's two things Okay, to consider with Samsung's announcement about this. One is, is that I think, speaking of what we were just talking about with 5G, I think five, the promise of 5G, I think tech companies already know that they're hoodwinking people and that, you know, I mean, that they're bullshitting everyone and that people are going to find out that, wait, you promised us this amazing future with 5G, it didn't happen. They're already getting ready for 6G. The tech giants are anyway, at least one like Samsung or Samsung, as I like to call them. They're getting ready for 6G, and that's just a total marketing tactic. Just like how Windows 10S or Windows 10X is really just Windows 10S rebranded. 6G will be the next move, maybe where some of the promise that they think, because, you know, 5G is going to be a massive market test or consumer test, societal test, for fuck's sake. 6G will be the hero, right? 6G will come in. It's like, oh yeah, we, we learned with 5G. Oh, we fucked up. Oh, blah, blah, blah. Here's 6G. We got you covered this time. This is the right stuff. And people will just fall into it for varying reasons. Why? Because most news outlets for one, and most journalists are on the take by, you know, whatever, you know, massive corporation uh, that, that has a new product of some kind coming out. Um, so, I mean, you know, there, there's that part of it, but I mean, that that's, that's why they're already talking about 6G. Again, I'm pissed as shit that nobody is attacking Samsung for even saying this the way that they did anybody else in the past that talked about 6G becoming a thing. No, I mean, you could say, well, the difference is, is that Samsung can actually like develop 6G and Trump can't. Again, I'm not defending that asshole, okay? Nor am I defending, defending Samsung. No, no, no. No, you can't use that argument because Samsung doesn't have any fucking idea what this is either. It's just a name. I mean, it just shows you how they operate on marketing and how and not on actual technical innovation. Now, 
the idea that they are looking at holography and that they are looking, you know, virtual augmented and mixed reality, this thing that they call XR. Okay. Of course, you know, we coined a new term a few episodes ago that uh, some sovereign tech listeners thought was, was really great. And thank you. Uh, that it really should be FR, which is fucked reality. But this is what I've been pointing at for quite some time is that why, why are smartphones? Why is everything getting thinner and lighter, thinner and lighter, blah, blah, blah. You know, nobody's asking for that. All we're asking for, please give me a bezel so I can actually hold my phone without pressing a bunch of, uh, you know, different, different points on the screen. Um, and, you know, give me better battery life. Everybody wants that. Talk to them. That's what they want. Nobody says, oh, I want thinner and lighter. The reason they're going for thinner and lighter is because eventually the, the device needs to disappear. And we talked about it actually during the episode that I think I even named FR fucked reality. It's that's the name of the recent episode. I even talked about that, how, you know, everything's going to go into your, you know, your interface is going to be the AirPods and you're just going to interface via voice or whatever, blah, 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 whatever they want. And then it'll all connect with 5g and 6g. That way you don't have to have, you know, antennas that can receive 4g and, and so on. This is, this is what this is about. Okay. And they're, they're priming everything And 5g is like step one or is actually, I guess it'd be step two or three in getting it to the point to where you don't interface with any kind of, uh, uh, you know, hard switch or hardware. It's all ethereal computing, right? Uh, what actually, I think they have a term for it. I think they call it like spatial computing. That's actually a phrase, which is terrifying because again, the less buttons you can push and the less direct things that those buttons and switches do, the less control you have over your data and over how you interact with the world. Kind of like we were saying at the top, how, yes, you know, to do normal things, as it seems, normal conventional things in the world, you need a smartphone today, it feels like, at least in most or in certain parts of the world, good chunks of it. I'm not saying I like that. I'm just saying that's how it is. So Samsung expecting this to all be there by 2030. I mean, that's, that's bold and it's also bullshit, absolute bullshit, but you are going to see a massive transition and they are, you know, a lot of these companies admitted, they are trying to sell 5g in the COVID climate that we're in right now. It is certainly Excel again, it's, it, it's, it's foiled a lot of plans, but then at the same time, it's also bringing a lot more, a lot faster. And well, anyway, if you want to know what's the problem with all of this, continue listening. I'll be right back with more Sovereign Tech. Woo! Hey, is Sovereign Tech not enough for you? Well, let me tell you about something you'll never get enough of. No, no, I mean it. We're talking about a radio show and podcast that goes all night long, seven nights a week, three hours a night, 365 days a year, and has been going since the early aughts, baby. I am talking about none other than Free Talk Live. It's the show you control. That's right. It's an open phones call-in show that is ready for you. And if you're worried that your voice isn't going to get heard, don't be. We are talking about the only libertarian radio show stateside. And not only that, it's also the number 26 talk show in the United States. Start listening now and go ahead and hit that massive back catalog at freetalklive.com. The Golden Stallion guarantees a good time. And you might even find some episodes with me on them when you do. That's freetalklive.com. And we thank them for sponsoring Sovereign Tech. 
Let's get back to the show. The main story. We got a great main story. Might get into a couple of them, Um, but a couple things. One, if you are hearing a the sound of wind or something along that along those lines in the uh, in the background, uh, the BDSM Studio Three is entirely cooled by fans, (laughs) not not by an air conditioner, which is impractical uh, based on the structure of it. Um, So if you hear fans going, it's just one of those days where I mean, I look like I'm right out of the '80s right now. I got sweatbands all over me. I mean, (laughs) ready to go. But uh, anyway, if you hear that, my apologies, but it always makes, it almost sounds like a starship engine in the background. I always love that sound, a little white noise or something, even when I sleep Uh, or an air conditioner can do the same thing, of course. But anyway, that the other is that, oh yes, there have been supposed details that have been revealed about what we talked about in the last episode of Sovereign Tech, that being the Twitter hack. We are going to get into those during HackSec. Okay. I will talk about those. We will break into, as I said, I would, I said, as soon as we get more info, we're going to start talking about it. Now I, I let some of this settle, tried to find some of the reality and I'm glad we did. We'll get into it uh, again during HackSec in the next segment. But for this segment, let's play off of what we were just talking about. Of course, the coming of five or, you know, the, the development of 5g and <laughs> the supposed coming of 6g by 2028. If civilization's even still here by then. Okay. <laughs> uh, but this is something, and basically an email in this story, I've got it from Android police. There's a couple, they did a couple stories on it, trying to bring some kind of clarity to what happened here. This is from July 24th, 2020. So very fresh. Okay. The, it was originally, I think July 22nd, then they've put in some updated details, but nothing is really helping with the clarity around this. So an email went out by AT&T that basically said, um, you know, to, to a lot of, a lot of AT&T, uh, uh, customers, you know, smartphone customers that their phone, if you have a slightly older one, I guess their phone come February, 2022, which you could argue is a distance away. We're not even in February, 2021 yet that come February, 2022, you are going to need a new smartphone. Now, what they're talking about is basically any smartphone that accordingly, we got to be particular here, according to AT&T, does not, uh, does not operate with their 4G, uh, uh, you know, voice over LTE protocol. Now, I'll read a little bit of the story here from Android Police and we'll break into it. And they have the email included so we can talk about that and what the fuck this all means. So here we go. Amid an an economy-crushing pandemic, AT&T decided that now was a good time to send a scaremongering email to many of its customers claiming that their phone, quote, is not compatible with the new network and you need to replace it to continue uh, receiving service, end quote. The email conveniently admits that this message is regarding a change that won't take place until February 2022, providing only a link that later calls out this this change linked to the decommissioning of AT&T's legacy 3G network. The tone and language of the email may uh, make it sound like customers should buy a new phone via the carrier straight away. It advertises that AT&T makes, quote, getting a new device online easy, end quote. Yep, sure, only $1,000. Now, anyway, (laughs) uh, detailing.
selling various free and fast shipping options. Oh boy, free shipping on your new, well, there, here they say it, $1,000 smartphone. Even a tech, uh, technically savvy person could be easily confused by this email, and it's easy to see how an elderly person might look at it and effectively get scared into purchasing a new phone immediately. Stallion breaking in. I appreciate Android police mentioning elderly people because let me assure you that the bulk of the people that use AT&T are either iPhone users, right? Because they've been with AT&T forever because originally iPhone was only available on AT&T. If you remember that or elderly people. And in some ways those, there's a lot of cross pollination there uh, between iPhone users and elderly people. But regardless, like a lot of the elderly people that I've ever helped out. Okay. With their smartphone, almost all of them are using AT&T. And they're using like a really cheap plan where they only get like 250 megabytes or whatever of data. I mean, like really, you wouldn't believe it. How's that even possible, right? That's what you're thinking. <laughs> but this is, this is a thing. And AT&T, I mean, for the one company that probably has the largest user base that isn't tech savvy is probably AT&T, which is, that's a problem. But anyway, let's keep reading. Uh, the notice is poorly worded enough that an AT&T subscriber asked if it was a scam in AT&T's forums since they own a relatively recent Galaxy S10e, and that is relatively recent. Other customers even agreed that it's likely not a genuine email until someone eventually pointed to the support page that AT&T linked to through the learn more button in the email. It details that in February, 2022, the carrier will turn off its 3g network, which will make some phones lose the ability to make voice calls. Uh, Anyway, let me, let me read the email, what it says. Here we go. Here's the email quote. We will soon be upgrading our network to use the latest technologies. These updates are to serve you better and bring faster speeds and greater reliability. Okay. Maybe out of those three serve you better, faster speeds and greater reliability. One of those is true. And it's not really the faster speeds. It's greater reliability. Does it technically bring faster speed to the consumer? Yes. Does the consumer, can the consumer tell the difference? No, which has long been our argument against 5G on this show is that the greater speeds, look folks, websites and all this other shit, I mean, their websites especially are basically just, you know, digital brochures. They're, they're nothing special. We talked about, in fact, that in one of our recent, one of our latest episodes of Sovereign Tech, where we talk about what can small businesses do, you know, to get online and be more engaging. Because the internet in that sense you know, I mean, you, you go on Twitter and you think, oh, no, there's nothing boring about the Internet. But in many ways, the rest of the Internet's kind of boring, right? <laughs> you know, there's not, not not much exciting. I mean, you can say there's exciting conversations happening, but you've got to have, uh, you know, the venue available for those conversations. We don't need to get sidetracked on that. But bottom line being is that for what the average person does, they have no need for the speed, the speeds that 5G gives them, the faster speeds. There, there's none. They're not going to be able to tell the difference. Greater reliability? Yes. By the nature of the tech, you know, yes, I get that. Better served? That's arguable. What what exactly does that mean? <laughs> right? So only one of those is true. Anyway, let's keep reading with the email. But your device ending uh, in, and that's blanked out, is not compatible with the new network and you need to replace it to continue receiving service. Our team is here to help you find a compatible device that fits your needs. We want to help you transition as seamlessly as possible and ensure your service is not interrupted. And then there's a the learn more button. Yeah, that sounds very much like, holy shit, I got to get a new phone right now. That is a very confusing email. Let's keep reading out with uh, what, what, um, 
Android police had to say. You might think that this isn't a widespread issue since most modern phones support 4G data and calling, or HD voice as AT&T calls it. However, AT&T whitelists a small number of handsets uh, it directly sells to, uh, to customers for 4G voice calling. And it looks like identical non-carrier phones don't necessarily work with the carrier's HD voice service like the aforementioned Galaxy S10 or S10e. So the point being is that you could have, like, first off, the problem is, is that there are very few phones that AT&T is claiming works with the new network, as it were. And it's not even 5G. That's like, it's not even about that. I mean, I think you know, beneath the surface, it's about that, but it's not even about that. They are, you know, they, what they let work with their HD voice protocol is what they let work. You could have the same phone that they'd sell you that they claim it works, but you bought it independently, not via AT&T. It's just a GSM phone for whatever. And because you didn't get it through AT&T, AT&T says, no, that your device isn't compatible and it doesn't work. And there's proof of that. Like people have already gone, gone through all of this. Um, now you do, and, and the bottom line, I mean, Android police reached out to them. AT&T did not really help. So here we go. When we did reach out to AT&T, the company provided us with the following statement, quote, this email was one of many planned to keep customers informed about the shutdown of our 3G, 3G network in early 2022. It should have included the date that certain devices would no longer be supported. We apologize for any confusion this may have caused, and we will be more clear in future updates. Okay, let's be clear here. AT&T didn't give you the date. And they worded it poorly because they are trying to scare and incentivize people to buy a new phone right now. Why? Because like we were talking about throughout the beginning of the episode, these companies are in trouble. Okay. They need to make a lot of money right now. And it's not, you know, it's, it, they're doing whatever they can to make that happen. AT&T is not immune to this, right? Okay. Now, I mean, granted they're not immune, so they might lose an arm and a leg, but AT&T will survive as to where other companies no, it's not that they're just not immune. They're, they're going to fucking die from it. What's happening here also is yes, absolutely. This is to bolster the, you know, getting people on board. Okay. If you need to buy a new phone right now, we want this 5g out there. We need to make this happen. We got to get this ball rolling for whatever the purposes are, why every company wants to be fucking on board with 5g. Again, I think a lot of what you're told are absolute, absolute bullshit and not the reality. This is totally a play to get people, you know, to, to buy a new phone. I mean, again, and it's not, they're not even telling you, you have to have a 5g phone, but they are getting you to buy a new phone. And they're probably thinking, well, we're, we're spending all this money, be it AT&T and whatever other, you know, tech giants and so on. We're spending all of this money on marketing. That looks like the news actually, you know, trying to disseminate some truth when it's not, um, we're spending all this money on marketing for 5g. We got to get people on board with this. We got to make this happen. We got to get people to buy new phones, blah, 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 blah. I mean, and then there's just like the spreadsheets of where the, you know, these companies have become reliant for their bottom line on you buying a new device every year, two years. And if you're not going to do that now, Oh, 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 oh then Oh, Oh dear. Uh, some AT&T exec isn't going to be able to, you know, go for a little trip on his yacht this summer. Oh, for like a day or something. And you know, that that's just so depressing. I mean, shit, how, how dare you 
not buy a, you know, 4G voice or even 5G phone and stick with your 3G phone or phone that doesn't operate with, again, H, their HD voice protocol, which is just voice over LTE, uh, which they call like Volte or whatever, V-O-L-T-E. In fact, I, I have some listeners who might have some interesting insights on this. And maybe I'll hear from them after the fact of what this is going to look like. But regardless, I mean, oh, what a, what, what a damn shame, you know? You, will you please, plebe, will you please go out and buy a 5G phone so that the AT&T execs can go have a day on their yacht or can have a, uh, a golden duck in, in their, on their front, uh, you know, their front fountain at their, at their house, please, or at one of their houses out of like 20. Please go buy a 5G phone right now. We can't, I, I, no, I know you need to eat, but they need to go out on a yacht. They need to go, do you understand? Like they, they need, the house just doesn't look right if there isn't a golden duck in the front fountain. Now, I know there's nothing wrong with 3G. I know 3G works basically fine and should ultimately, you know, handle speeds and, and apps and everything just fine. I know. But these people need to go on these trips. They need to buy a new G5. I don't mean a Ma- I don't mean a Macintosh either. I mean a fucking jet plane. Don't you have any concern for them? Will you will someone please think of the AT&T execs and the fact that they need a new jet airplane? This is a necessity, you understand. Not it's not your food, that's not a necessity. You having, you know, being able to uh, I don't know, call your family, especially when you're stressed out because you're stuck at home, that's not a necessity. Who the fuck needs that? That's nothing compared to, you know, to the yacht trip, to the jet airplane, to the golden duck. Priorities, people. Slaves, please. Uh, sorry. Mm. This is this is so ridiculously insulting what they're pulling here. And and it is again, it th- this is this points at something that drives me up the wall with so many people who are like, well, just trust the market, blah, blah. No. I trust the market if I had my options, right? As far as like, okay, well, when I go to buy a phone, I don't like, I'll, I'll be, I'll be frank with you. I am sweating. Not just because it's a hundred degrees outside. No, I am sweating that I'm going to have to potentially at some point buy into 5g. Frankly, I'll leave the fucking workforce of life. And and I'm serious. You might think I sound, it sounds crazy. No, I, I will walk away before I buy into that goddamn network. And it has nothing to do with like the hell shit. I mean, other than my sanity, it has nothing to do with any of that. I just know that that's going into very ugly places into a world that I don't want to live. And you could say, well, I mean, come on, Brian, it's just 5g. No, 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 it's not. Didn't you just hear what we were talking about with Samsung? It's about much more. But this is just, I mean, companies are going to keep doing this in different patterns and different ways to force you into the technologies that they want you to be into. Not what you, not what works for you. I mean, that, that's, I think I even remember, you know, my old buddy Harlan Elson even saying this once, is that a person, now, I mean, I don't, you know, forget about rights, but this is just the way that he phrases it. A person has a right to use the level of technology that works for them. Well, Silicon Valley does not agree with that concept. Silicon Valley says, no, you don't have any rights for one Two, 
you, you know, aren't allowed to use anything that we tell you you can't. You have the right, as it were, to use what we fucking force upon you. And that's what this is really all about. And the, again, the scaremongering, especially right now, I'm glad Android police called it out. I mean, it's horrible. Now, can you choose other networks? Sure. Of course you can. Um, now, I mean, you can say, well, you know, there's cheaper options out there. You can go with cricket you can go with this. Yeah. But how many of these like MVNOs, how many MVNOs use AT&T's towers, right? In fact, most of these companies basically share towers overall. And so once one is forcing their hand, then the others basically end up having to force their hand because AT&T, ultimately AT&T, T-Mobile, well, whoever owns who, ultimately all of them call all the shots. So it's not like you can run to another one because once Verizon or AT&T says X, Y, Z, the rest really have to follow. This is a problem. People don't really have options. And you can say, well, then don't just use a smart. Well, yes. Oh, I hope people come to that conclusion. Well, then I just don't want a smartphone. And I hope that there's a mass of people who eventually fucking say, uh, I mean, because, you know, consider this, this is granted. I, I get you. This is a very abstract point, but I think it's relevant salient to what we've been saying throughout this episode. Okay. Here's the problem is that to do again, to do normal things, conventional things, when we go so far as to where like with Samsung talking about XR, right? You know, mixed reality, augmented reality, virtual reality, and so on. I mean, you get to the point where there aren't even like, I mean, and I'm sure this is the direction they want to go where there aren't even street signs anymore, not real ones. Okay. No, all the street signs, you have to be wearing Google glass. You have to have Google jammed in your fucking eyeball. Okay. So that you can see where you're going. I hope the fuck the network never shuts down because then <laughs> you, ha you have no idea where you're going and no, you can't pull out your smartphone. I mean, unless you printed out maps from MapQuest, who remember doing that? Uh, you're screwed because you don't have smartphones anymore. That's ultimately where this goes, right? Like we were talking about earlier, but that's the thing is that the more reliant doing your everyday things comes upon technology and not physical manifestations the less control you have and the more you're fucked. I mean, I'd love it if there was a huge market sector that just finally said, you know what? Smartphones, that's enough. We're not going to turn everything over to these things. I'm not going to be, I mean, because I mean, just look around most people that, you know, speaking of slaves, they look like they're slaves to their goddamn devices, to their goddamn smartphones. It's insane. And now you're seeing the power play, you know, for, for the amount of control the amount of things that, that you rely upon for a smartphone, for you to be reliant upon a company that can at a whim, basically shut down whatever network that you were using before, you know, instantaneously. I mean, does this naturally happen? Yeah, to some degree it does. And it's happened before with cell phones, right? Because remember cell phones used to have an analog signal. Then basically every telco shut that down and all went to digital, of course. Okay. So, you know, I get it that this does occur. There is a natural progression that happens with that. But there are times where when this happens, it is not to the benefit of the consumer. And that is ultimately the argument here is that there is no benefit to the consumer when you shut down a 3G network, unless you buy into this notion, we need everything for 5G and we need less interrupting signals like say 3G and so on. Uh, you know, 
I, I mean, because it's, it's not uninteresting that they're not shutting down 4G. I mean, that'll come eventually. Yeah, you're, you're too reliant upon this, and it's too much at the whim. You're too reliant upon smartphones. You're too reliant on that consistent signal, okay? And then those, you know, that signal and that technology, again, even the smartphone, because you've got to buy the smartphone that's on AT&T's whitelist, is beholden to AT&T itself. And like I said, this is trickle down. What AT&T or Verizon does, everybody else basically has to copy. Because a lot of them, I mean, they're all sharing. It's all one ugly, tangled web. I tell you this, I share this with you, A, because this is dirty tactics on a corporation's part. I tell you the other reason is to warn you of what is to come and to be ready for it. They gave plenty of time for you to go ahead and upgrade. Nice. I don't see a whole lot of cheap options on AT&T's website as far as smartphones go. When ultimately there's, I mean, and, and this is a whole other thing too. I mean, we could get into, there's a lot of economics around this that, that, that we could discuss, but we don't need to. I think you see the problem as it is. And that you are being effectively forced in a direction that has no appreciable benefit to you. And I recognize we don't have a freed market right now. Not really. But the market we do have, if it's not serving the consumer, what the fuck is it doing? I'll be right back with more Sovereign Tech. Woo! With the suddenness of a snapping finger, a whole town dies, almost without a trace. Even if you slit a person's throat, you won't get death this fast. Almost without a clue, except... <coughs> except for a six-month-old baby and a 60-year-old derelict. They have faced the Andromeda strain and survived. But will anybody else? The Robert Wise production of the most incredible bestseller of the decade. The Andromeda Strain. 130 minutes of intense excitement. 96 of the most critical hours in world history. Suspense to last a lifetime. The Andromeda Strain. Please note, no one will be seated during the last 10 minutes. Rated G, but may be too intense for younger children. The Andromeda Strain from Universal. Issues of privacy security, and social engineering. It's HackSec. Now, I told you that uh, here we are in HackSec, and I told you that we would talk about the Twitter hack once again and give you an update on this. Of course, the story we're talking about is the fact that Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, morons like Kanye, uh, I don't know, go down the list. Like, well, actually, all the blue check marks on there were all banned for a little while um, from tweeting. Uh, but you had all of them pull out a big time Bitcoin scam. Okay, not that Bitcoin is a scam, quite the opposite, but basically sending, yo, send us Bitcoin, I'll send you back, blah, blah, blah. And I mean, Elon Musk was, you know, a moron like that. All of them were involved or their accounts were involved, I should say. And feel free to listen to the last episode of Sovereign Tech to get more details 
uh, on what exactly happened. Now, what I talked about in the last episode was that no matter how this happened, no matter what really happened, how these, uh, you know, bad actors, and I don't mean the blue check marks, but there's plenty of bad actors in that group. (laughs) You know, I don't, no matter how this happened, no matter how the bad actors got access to these accounts, there is no like answer that is a good answer for the infrastructure that we have. Like, like this is just much like COVID-19 has shown the porosity in our economy. This, the Twitter hack showed the porosity in, you know, our interconnected world in the internet, in the World Wide web, in security, in all of that cybersecurity specifically. And the answers that we've gotten, supposedly. So Twitter responded. Let's get into this. Twitter responded with, you know, the official Twitter account that it was social engineering. Do I believe that? Uh, Now, okay, New York Times, Motherboard, other places came out. Supposedly they claim, but the, the, the quote unquote bad actors are being, and, and I guess some people feel like they're not bad actors. Some people think they're downright heroic about it. Uh, I'll, I'll leave that view to you. Okay. But the people that we'll, we'll call it a hack. Well, it's fine. We'll use that. I, I don't like to use the word hack in a derogatory sense, but okay. The hackers who remain anonymous have supposedly talked to New York times and so on. They shared screenshots of the tool that they use to allow them to access these accounts and so on. Um, where, how they got this tool. I mean, now New York times is saying that they got access to the tool through the internal Twitter Slack channel, the company Slack channel, which bolsters a lot of the problems I've discussed with Slack, but okay. Anyway, they're claiming it came down to social engineering. It was not an actual, uh, you know, security problem. It wasn't an exploit of some kind that they used an official Twitter tool to do this. Um, I, I don't believe any of that. Do I have any evidence to suggest what it really was? Not really, but then that's part of that claim that can be levied against me that I don't believe that it was social engineering or, I mean, could it have been a rogue? uh, And I said this in the last episode. I mean, when I was speculating as to what happened here, I said, most likely it was an inside job right? That there is some, you know, disgruntled employee or whatever else, much like what happened in 2017 with, uh, you know, slap nuts and chief big orange there with his account, his Twitter account, uh, that it was, you know, a person on the inside at, at Twitter. Now I had said that that was, that was the case, right? Or that I think that was the case. So I guess that could qualify to some degree of social engineering, but you know, all the, everything that the New York times and motherboard said, I, and the idea that it was somehow it was some, you know, magic tool that that Twitter has that allows them to access all these accounts. I mean, all this, I mean, even those answers don't look good. Granted, it looks a little bit better for Twitter because at least then it wasn't an exploit for, you know, the Twitter service overall, as far as like a code exploit, right? Like, I guess that makes it a little bit better. So they could argue that, well, no, security wasn't really compromised, not in our code. Uh, but it was compromised via social engineering. You know, basically it was a human's fault, right? 
that makes that takes Twitter a little bit off the hook, just a little bit. And already people have stopped talking about the story and I'm baffled that they haven't. And I don't know if it's because they've bought uh, what New York Times and Motherboard and so on have said, hook, line and sinker. I don't know if that's the situation or what. But the point I'm bringing up to you is that me not believing what's being told by New York Times and Vice and whatever. You could say, I don't have any evidence to suggest to the contrary. Yeah, but I would argue they have their evidence sucks as well. They basically have anonymous people telling them they did X, Y, Z. And there's arguments that they, they paid a Twitter employee for this. Like, I mean, some of the stories don't add up between New York Times and other news outlets. Okay. Uh, and they have some screenshots. Okay. But you know, you can get those. I mean, maybe that tool does exist, but you could have gotten those screenshots other ways. I mean, like, like there's no one's given any satisfactory evidence as to what happened with this Twitter hack. The bottom line here is that it happened. The bottom line here is that, and it seems to be, I mean, some of the evidence that we do have is that yes, direct messages were looked at, which that's a problem. There's a lot of people, hell, even I years ago, I've suggested, I said, well, yeah, well, they've got perfect forward secrecy. They got all this set up into DMS. Yeah. You know, if, if you wanted a, a more secure way to communicate with people, a direct message probably wouldn't be a bad idea. In fact, the EFF, right? Oh, the electronic frontier Foundation. Oh yes. Oh, the bastions of, of sanity and privacy. Blah, blah, blah. No, but okay. Whatever. If you, buy into what the EFF says. And I certainly years ago did as well, but you know, even they gave Twitter, uh, you know, they have like a privacy, uh, star system. They gave Twitter like five, six stars. So you would have felt very comfortable, you know, communicating, especially with DMS over Twitter, right? If you, if you bought with the, what the EFF said, but then because of whatever really happened here with the Twitter hack, um, those direct messages could have been viewed. And in fact, people could have been communicated with, and you could have been, you know, I, uh, basically identity spoofed and so on. I mean, you have all kinds of problems that, that would have happened there. So again, ultimately, whatever the reality is of how this happened, it did happen. And that does not speak well of Twitter overall. I mean, there are, you know, if, if in cybersecurity, we talk about this a lot that a lot of services and websites basically have a, a God mode, right? You have an admin that can do whatever they want with the service or website. This is the problem when things aren't end to end encrypted, right? Um, these are a thing. Not many people want to talk about them because it makes you feel uncomfortable and you ultimately do. Yes. Have to trust the employees at, whatever, you know, online service or shop or whatever that, that you happen to be using. Okay. And this is true for any, this isn't just about Twitter. This is true for just about an, an you know, any online sir again, service. I mean, this is true for Facebook. This is true for all kinds of companies. Okay. Now, I mean, I want you to, this is a really great thing to do. Go to California sometime, go to San Francisco, go to, you know, the heart of Silicon Valley, go to Redmond even you know, go, go to all these places and talk to the employees of these giant companies that I hope you realize it throughout this show that, you know, uh, have so much power 
as far as these services that you rely on to communicate with people, perhaps to build up your business, perhaps to get sales, to do, to advertise, to do whatever the fuck you need to do, or to get in touch with your doctor or blah, 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 blah. And when you talk to these people, you know what you're going to find out? They are not a monastic order of pious people. They are normal, everyday people. And I do not say that to be derogatory, to disparage them or anything along those lines. I say that for you to realize why, why the fuck would you trust these people with any of your data? Why the fuck would you trust any of these people with your business? Why the fuck would you trust them with anything? Why would you think that somehow, oh, they, you know, those employees at Twitter, man, they are just a cut above. You've got to be something special to make it into Twitter. But you know, you don't. You don't have to be something special to work. I mean, yeah, oh, man. I mean, you have news organizations that even do whole, well, I mean, we've seen it. We've talked about it throughout 2019 and 2020. I mean, how you you have civil wars basically inside these companies. You know, you have uh, developers at Google who are fucking pissed off that they're dealing with the Chinese government, uh, you know, or you have people who are freaking out over Jedi at Amazon, which is, you know, where they're working with the Department of Defense and so on. And, and yeah, I mean, these, these companies are going are gonna to fuck with shit on the ins or I mean, these, these uh, uh, employees and developers and so on who have a lot of power over how all of this actually functions and works. They're going to fuck with shit because they don't like what their, you know, execs are doing, you know, what the white collars are doing and so on. But you just go throughout your day. Yeah, that's fine. Nudes over Snapchat shit. That ain't ever going to leak. I can trust those people. What? When? How? Again, I said this earlier, and I think it's the most salient point to take away from all of this. COVID-19, like I said, showed how porous, how weak the global economy is. The Twitter hack showed every single flaw overall in the global network, the internet, the World Wide web, all of that as we know it. Again, now if things are end-to-end -end encrypted, okay, fine. Then yeah, you know, I mean, and that's, that's really where you want to go, right? You want to have, you want to have a, a zero trust policy, right? Where you don't have to trust, uh, you know, the employees because it's encrypted client side on your device. And so they can't see whatever the fuck you happen to say, even if they cracked into it. Well, it's gibberish because it was all encrypted end to end. And you want that to be open source code so you can verify that that's exactly what that encryption scheme is doing. Otherwise, you have no reason to trust any of this, what any of these people are doing, because regardless of what was behind, what inspired, what the philosophy was behind the recent Twitter hack, it shows that this is possible and that at any given moment you could lose everything. And when you become, I mean, we talked about this, how Twitter, I mean, has basically become the modern day phone service. It is ultimately a public, it's almost a public works at this stage to the point like, like malls got to, right? <laughs> you know, yeah, sure. They're privately owned, but they're effectively a public service. <laughs> I mean, or that's what it felt like. It's at that stage. You are so reliant upon it for whatever the fuck. And you have no control over it whatsoever. That should be disquieting to you. This whole Twitter hack, this is, like I said, this is as big a story as anything else that's happened in 2020, anything. 
because it shows all the flaws. It shows all the problems. It doesn't matter if you had 2FA on, doesn't matter. God mode. If you had whatever else on, doesn't matter. God mode, you know, or I have the supposedly, you know, there's this software that exists and it appears to have been confirmed that that software at the very least that was used is real. Now, whether or not that's what really did it, whether, whether it was really used, whether or not those hackers actually, you know, like that was the route that they took, whether or not it happened through Slack, whatever, none of that ultimately matters. What matters is, is that it did happen. It's possible. It doesn't matter even what the, you know, what the software was. That's not important. None of that is important. It's that it can be, and you need to be thinking about this. And everybody should be thinking about this. Okay. I understand that Twitter would love to squash that this happened. This cannot be squashed that this happened. This cannot be covered up. This cannot be not talked about. Everybody and their goddamn mother should be using end to end encrypted, you know, whatever messaging services, what every service should be end to end encrypted. That's not going to happen. I know, but where it can fuck at least start now. I don't feel, I don't care if a bunch of, you know, in, in the, in the abstract sense, I don't give a shit if a bunch of rich assholes got their Twitter accounts hacked. I don't care even if exchanges got their Twitter, you know, Bitcoin exchanges got their Twitter accounts hacked or anything like that. Cause fuck them. Half of them are insolvent anyway. You know, if, if, if you, <laughs> uh, anyway, that, 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 that's a whole other conversation. I don't care, but I do care what this says about our connectivity, our interconnectivity overall. And that other than what's end-to-end encrypted or possible peer-to-peer, we're screwed. There is no such thing with what happened with the Twitter hack. It is abundantly clear. There is no such thing as security online. There's security at, at client side. There's no such thing as security online. It doesn't exist. Get that through your heads. That's why I said a week ago, last episode, that this is the biggest fucking story of 2020. And everybody's already ignoring it and not caring about it and just moving on. They have no real, and you, you know, it's cognitive dissonance. They see, they saw, they saw, holy shit, even, you know, this could even happen to Jeff Bezos. <gasps> And then they just went blank because they don't want to consider that all of this is just open game. Everything online, none of it is secure, not even remotely close because all it takes doesn't even require a couple of hackers. All it takes is one employee having a really bad day. Choice is up to you. I even tweeted I haven't tweeted since it happened. Um, and I, and I'll admit it now. I know I've said, you know, okay, if there's one place I'm going to have a social media presence, it's going to be on Twitter. Cause it's the only one that I can kind of stomach. Well, I can't stomach it anymore. And I'm debating on whether or not it's time to just go ahead and delete that baby. I, I don't like that because I told you, no, I'll be on Twitter. Don't worry. I'll be on Twitter. But I can see this and I can share it with you and I can tell you the implications and I can tell you what's going on. And I don't see Twitter even making a modicum of moves to, to try and remedy what's at the heart of this. Why me as a cybersecurity expert, why would I stay on a platform like that? That's not secure. 
what to market my show. That that does that doesn't even make sense, you know. That's that's like trying to I don't know. Put an end to government by joining it. It's like wait a minute, you still increase the size of government by being part of it, asshole. What the hell are you thinking? So that's uh, that's something that's that's coming under serious uh, consideration on my end. I recommend the same for you. We'll be right back with more Sovereign Tech. Woo! Hello, Sovereignati. As you know, Sovereign Tech proudly no longer puts content behind a paywall and makes thousands of hours and episodes available to you totally for free. But... If you feel that stirring in your cockles or that special feeling in your heart, I beseech you, nay, I implore you to help the show out by donating. Frequenting our sponsors is key, but donations from listeners like you has always made the show go round and round. You can go to SovereignTech.com to set up an automatic monthly donation, or you can donate via the Bitcoin address in the show notes. And now you can even donate with the Cash app at cash.app and use the money tag Sovereign Tech. So many ways to help out the show, and I'm honored by all of it, allowing us to build and be the future. Now, let's get back to the show. Now entering the gaming grid. The latest gaming news, reviews, and retro culture, as only the man of tomorrow can deliver. And here is your host, Brian Sovereign. Let's have a little fun, shall we? Uh, and talk a little bit in the gaming grid. We were going to get into some Q&A, but I'm going to skip that for this episode in the interest of time, because I do have a subject I want to get to in the climax that fits in well with this episode. Speaking of a little bit of gaming news that fits in well with this episode also is that the Oculus Go has been effectively canceled. Uh, it is no longer in production, no longer supported. Uh, it appears that really minus a couple, I mean, there's a new Oculus headset coming out soon. There's very, there are very few headsets being supported. I mean, Google's daydream seems to be dead. I'm almost to the point and playing well into like what Samsung came out with about XR, right? Which again, we'll, we'll call it FR fucked reality augmented, you know, virtual reality, mixed reality, all of it. I feel like there, a lot of the recent attempts, which were, as far as application, I think very successful. I mean, I reviewed the Oculus Go and I was very bullish on it. I was very positive, um, you know, in that, okay, here we go. We got a headset for $200. This is how you get people into VR. I think it seems, in my, in my opinion, it's very clear now that a lot of the headsets that have come out for virtual reality over really since 2016, 2017 have more or less been a Kickstarter, which is ironic because Oculus started as a Kickstarter, right? But I mean, this is true for HTC, all of them, that it was more or less a Kickstarter to get to fix latency issues and so on. 
And to get it to where, you know, your next headsets, I don't think anyone's really going to bother with virtual reality hardware until the 5G network is a reality, much like what, you know, the, the tech giants and whoever else wants, like we were talking about earlier in the show. And so the Oculus Go doesn't fit into that picture because people aren't buying into that standalone VR headset, but they will buy into when it is ubiquitous, right? When it's that, what's the term? Spatial computing that should scare the fuck out of everybody. And that's a shame because again, I, I was very favorable about, about the Oculus Go because it did what I wanted VR to do, right? Like I wanted to watch movies in VR and so on. Okay, great. Like it, it did that beautifully. You know, but that's not what these companies really want. They don't just even want great gaming experiences with VR. What they want is control ultimately over what you see at any given moment, at any part of the day. That's where all of this really has to go. And so the Oculus Go getting discontinued, not a surprise. Is there going to be an Oculus Go too? Not a chance. Or I mean, maybe, you know, I, I guess there could be some kind of argument for it, but it'd probably be a kid's toy, uh, not something that's that's terribly serious. And it's, again, it's a shame because the Oculus Go was pointing in the direction that I think VR could have gone. But now it's just. This is not this is not a good direction for VR. So, I, I mean, I was already out of it once John Carmack stepped away anyway. Uh, we already talked about that. We had the conversation. We don't have to you know go back over it here, but not a fan of the direction that that is going. Something I am a fan of though. Let's start talking about this. Um, of course there were the recent, what is it called? The giga leak, the Nintendo leaks. They had all that interesting stuff from the N64 era. I'm not going to be talking about that here. Might save that uh, for another time. Um, what I do want to talk about, I'd like to get in some uh, game reviews, at least one, because this it's amazing how a game so old and we are talking well, it's actually, it's the 20th anniversary edition, but really it's older than that now even. Um, Duke Nukem 3D, 20th anniversary world tour. This finally came out for the Switch uh, about a month ago now as, as this is getting released. And man, <laughs> you know, I mean, they did a lot with, and, and I already had this. I, I, I had gotten it on Steam when it came out for PC and everything. Um, and I played it then and I was very, very pleased with what they, what they put out there. Uh, there's like a whole other episode added in. They add not everything's there. There's actually more. So I think it was in 99. There was a 2015 edition of this as well. The 2015 edition of the Duke Nukem Kiloton collection or Duke Nukem 3d Kiloton collection that actually has the most Duke Nukem 3d gameplay of any version of Duke Nukem 3D that's come out. And there have been a lot. I mean, there's probably at least 10. And that is, you know, that's not even getting into fan mods and everything else. I mean, those are just like the quote unquote official releases. Um, unfortunately, in fact, I'll put it out to the to the listeners. If you have the GOG version of the 2015 kiloton edition of Duke Nukem 3D, please get in touch with me. You can even use Twitter for that. All right. <laughs> it's that I'm that desperate to get my hands on it. I can't find it. I have the original kiloton edition. I don't have the 2015 edition from GOG. I need specifically the 2015 GO. It has to be the GOG edition. That's what I want. If you got it, hook me up anyway. I mean, and I'll just, I'll love you forever. All right. <laughs> but well, maybe not forever. And time's kind of a weird thing, but regardless, I'll be very pleased. Um, 
Anyway, so the 20th anniversary world tour next to the 2015 kiloton edition is the most complete edition with the most Duke Nukem 3D play really that you can get your hands on minus some kind of fan mod. Uh, this is incredibly well done. It is very faithful. They even brought in, you know, the original voice actors, uh, you know, musicians, everything to, you know, really remaster and bring everything up to date as much as possible. It's not a full on remastering where there's necessarily new graphics, but everything's upscaled very nicely. Uh, I was, I was incredibly pleased with this release when it came out for PC and to have it on switch to have it portably. Now, yes, you could play it on just about any laptop and you know, it would play beautifully, you know, on a laptop. So you could argue you have it portably that way, but I mean, really portably where you just turn it on, you already have the gamepad hooked up and everything. Maybe you got your Hori switch pros on and away you go. That is a beautiful experience. Now, it's not the first time I've played Duke on Switch because I've also played uh, the Duke edition of Killstorm, and that's a lot of fun, but that's not really a Duke game. I mean, it is and it isn't, but anyway, um, the 20th anniversary world tour, again, all, all the graphics are brought not you know up to where they look good on the screen, right? That's I guess that's the best way of, of putting it, but sounds tremendous. The voice acting is hilarious as ever. The new episode is it plays just like something out of right out of 1996 or 97. Uh, this is a, it is still so much fun and so easy to pick up and play. I am not a fan, not because I can't handle complex games. I most certainly can, but I love a good, simple FPS. And the Duke really, really delivers on that. Um, so, I mean, my review is instantaneous 10 out of 10. This is an instant buy it's amazingly, you know, a lot of games, when they come to the switch, you get what's called the switch tax, which means that, you know, they add on 10 or 15 bucks or whatever to get past Nintendo's bullshit to release a game on the switch. So it costs more generally to buy a game on the switch, the same game as compared to on, you know, PS4 or Xbox, whatever. This was the weird case where it was actually significantly cheaper. Um, than what I paid for it when it came out on PC. So, I mean, it, it's worth, it's, you know, I think I paid 20 bucks originally when it came out on PC a couple of years ago, it would have been worth that on switch to, to, to play this this way. And also actually Ion Fury also finally came out for the switch, which is now I, I got to tell you, I am sick of the term spiritual successor. I fucking hate that word and I heard that term and I am seeing it way too much in gaming journalism right now. It is getting annoying to where, oh, this company is going to make the spiritual successor to whatever. And it's just, it's too commonplace. What I would love is for developers to finally come out and say, yeah, you know what? IP is basically killing our creativity, you know, or we'd love to continue, I don't know, the, the Star Ocean series uh, in, a, in, a, in a faithful way. But you know, IP sucks. So we have to do the spiritual successor. And I mean, at the same time, like the, the abstract notion of a spiritual successor, I don't mind, but I would just really love for gaming journalism and the industry as a whole to come out and say, Hey, IP is, is, is choking us to death. It's choking the entire gaming industry to death. That's what I wish would, would really happen. Um, and, and it's, it's not, but Ion Fury which is a, for lack of a better phrase, a spiritual successor to Duke Nukem. Um, because, you know, it's based on like bombshell and so on. And anyway, 
I mean, it's really, I would love to have, I got to tell you, and I, I hope Duke Nukem 3D sold well. I would love to have Duke Nukem Forever on Switch because ultimately one of the, you know, I keep around a Windows PC. One of the reasons I keep it around is to play Duke Nukem games. One of the games, that being 20th Anniversary Edition, that is now off of the checklist because I can play that on Switch. And so it's one less reason that I have a Windows PC laying around. All right. Now, if Duke Nukem Forever went away, that's another reason down that, you know, why I don't need to have a Windows PC. And I don't need it. It's a choice. I understand. But you get you get where I'm coming from. So I kind of I don't know if it'll happen because I think that for because Duke Nukem Forever is actually a really great game. In fact, it consistently got better with the two huge expansion packs that came out for it. Um, and and even the the lead guy at Gearbox even said he's like, yeah, it's like I think people just missed it. They don't understand what they were getting when they got Duke Nukem Forever, and they're looking at it wrong. This is similar to me about like. Jurassic Park three people, people seem to forget that movie. That movie is fantastic, but you've got to understand what it is. It's a bunch of dinosaurs on the fucking silver screen. And that's what it's there for. It is not there to be this, Ooh, ah, you know, uh, or like some kind of commentary or whatever through the character of Ian Malcolm. It's just not meant to be that you've got to understand what it's meant to be. Duke Nukem forever. You've got to understand what it was meant to be. And when you do, you love it. Okay. And you could get past the slow load times. That was a legitimate concern back with, you know, when it came out on Xbox 360 and so on, it wasn't a concern on PC. That's why I think largely PC players still love the game, but it does have a lot of uh, bad press around it and a lot of baggage around it. But boy, do I hope it still ends up making it on switch and they, they do a good port to it because I mean, the switch could handle that those, those graphics easily. And again, I, I, there was, I mean, the reviews I've seen of Duke Nukem 3D 20th uh, anniversary or 20th anniversary world tour uh, for switch have been very positive, you know, and great. I'm glad that that Duke is, I mean, even if just ultimately we end up with another Duke game, great, please. Yes, I'll take it. Okay. That'd be, that'd be great. So anyway, pick that up. If you haven't, it is incredibly uh, worthwhile. Another review I want to get into quick. Star Wars Episode One Racer. This basically came out around the same day as when Duke Nukem 3D did on the Switch. It was the release was delayed, uh, but then it did end up going live. Um, to, uh, absolutely worth it. Now, this is another one where they just kind of upscaled everything to make it look good. Okay, on, you know, on modern consoles, they did not do a full remastering like we were expecting. Um I was, in fact, they, I've seen some comparison shots of how how Racer looks uh, in comparison to previous versions, like the Dreamcast version, the PC version, and, of course, the most famous, the N64 version. It looks far superior today, far cleaner. I mean, and, and, and that comes with certainly some things looking uglier because you can't hide it behind uh, lower resolution. But I think this game is just as fun and addicting today. And, and I've seen some reviewers come out and say about this when they were talking about it, they were basically saying, you know, would this game really matter if it didn't have star Wars in the title? Like would people actually give a shit? I think it still does. I mean, because you get to customize, you know, your pod racer quite a bit. There's a lot of unlockables, the sense of speed that this game has, and I don't know how exactly they achieve it, 
because I mean, there's some games today that, that feel like they have the sense of speed. Like, um, what was that game? Is it fast RMX or whatever for, for switch? That's an awesome game. That's like, it's kind of like Wipeout. Wipeout is an awesome game. The entire Wipeout series is fantastic and it does have a sense of speed, but there's something, and maybe it's just like the, the flames coming out of the engines on, on your pod racer. Some unconscious cue gives you this incredible sense of speed on racer that I can't, I don't, I can't really recall other than like in racer revenge, the sequel game for PS2 that I don't, I just, I can't really think of another game that exactly has that even Wipeout, And in fact, I compare it. The only way I can really compare it is with when you play say wing commander three or wing commander four and compare that to, uh, X-Wing or TIE Fighter or X-Wing Alliance. You have a greater sense of flying, uh, like flying through the stars with motion. You get almost, again, almost that sense of speed. In TIE Fighter, far greater than you do on Wing Commander 3. In Wing Commander, it feels like you're flying a desk. It, it, it's, it's, I, and again, I don't know what it is about what, what, what's different between the two that makes that happen. Cause I still love both games. Just like I love the wipeout games and I, and I love racer. Um, but there's just, there is this very unique feeling with episode one rate. Actually, it's funny too. They basically dropped the moniker of episode one. They dropped that out of the title, which I think is also, while we're talking about things that are insulting, I think that's insulting, but so star Wars racer, that's what it's called now. Um, yeah, there's just something there's something about it that gives you that sense of speed. So I think it's a great game, even if it's not Star Wars. Uh, and you could have done a lot of interesting stuff story wise if it weren't Star Wars. Right. I, I, I really think you could have. And they sort of tried to more with Racer Revenge, which, as I've said many times, is a superior game. And that's not saying that Racer is bad. In fact, Racer, you know, if we're, if we're giving rankings here, it's another 10 out of 10, just like Duke Nukem 3D. Uh, and it's not nostalgia. There is just something special about this gameplay. Yes, there is the nostalgia as well. Certainly the nostalgia for, you know, something that was actually really great. That was new star Wars back in 99. Even if you didn't like episode one, most people were like, wow, the pod racing shit was awesome. You know, and this game lived up to a lot of that hype. Um, yeah, it, 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 it's still, I, again, I really, I think it still very much holds up and there's still something very unique and, and give it a shot if you haven't. If you haven't played it in a while, play it again. And I really do think you're going to get that sense. Like, like how, why does it feel like this is going so goddamn fast? And I don't know if it's the, it, it can't even be the, the, the repercussions of when you crash. Right. And that it's so easy and that the, the pod, the pod racer itself feels so flimsy, you know, like in, in universe, it feels very, very fragile. And so you need to be careful on the turns and everything else, because the slightest thing will, you know, you'll blow up. If that adds to it, I'm not sure what it is, but this game translated to modern consoles, certainly the Nintendo switch and playing it portably. Uh, I think very well, very, very well, uh, absolutely worthwhile. There, the only problem with it, and I don't know what's going on here is that the sound is way off. I mean, the star Wars soundtrack certainly makes things more exciting. You know, John Williams music is just going to do that no matter what it is. But the, the sound is it, they didn't bother to upscale that, you know, to, to modern sensibilities at all. And I don't know why it sounds really grainy. There's just very, 
and it's it's not like the speakers on the switch either because i've hooked it up to all kinds of things it sounds like shit even on the you know on the television it sounds like shit with headphones in it just sounds the sound sounds like shit i don't know what happened there maybe they fixed that in an update already but um but i, I think it's a very very worthwhile game so you have a couple of classics to and a couple of positives here that you can check out on modern consoles, Duke Nukem 3D 20th Anniversary World Tour and episode, or we don't call it episode one anymore because I guess that's bad. Uh, <laughs> Star Wars Racer, hit him. I'll be back with more. Game over. Journey into the far reaches of Aqua Space. Attention, security brief. Brace for impact. Seal out of doors, rig for collision. Launch countermeasures. Steven Spielberg's Amblin Entertainment Inc. and Universal Television comes a journey into the future and beneath the sea. Roy Scheider stars in Sequest DSV. You can watch Sequest by downloading it from your favorite torrent site or getting it on glorious DVD. For beneath the surface lies the future. The Golden Stallion doing whatever he wants to do. The Climax. It is time for the Climax, where I can talk about whatever the hell I want to talk about. Now, normally it's like a movie, a comic book, a book, something, uh, something like that. You know, boy, I could get into a whole side conversation but it's something better served with talking with uh, Rob on TIE fighter renegades, but you know, playing racer, playing star Wars racer, it just, it, it, it did bring, I don't want to say nostalgia, but it reminded me of what star Wars used to be in a visceral way. And frankly, how great it used to be. And it even inspired me to some degree to go looking for audiobook versions of a lot of uh, legends what are, or what Disney now calls legends novels. For example, I had to go out and find um, the unabridged version of Steve Perry's shadows of the empire. Uh, probably my favorite book from the old EU from the old expanded universe in star Wars. Uh, it is not on audible. You can get the abridged version on audible, which is only a couple hours, but the book, you know, is much larger than that. And it's actually a 10 hour listen um, I was able to find it, but I grabbed some others while I was at it, like, you know, the heir to the empire trilogy, uh, the hand of Thrawn duology and all that. And I've been listening to some of these and, and a whole lot more. And man, like you just, for, these books used to be so fucking exciting. I mean, they used to be so good. Uh, like, I mean the whole, especially with the hand of Thrawn duology with the, uh, empire of the hand and all that just brilliant shit. <sighs> Yeah. What a shame. Anyway, I, I could have a whole conversation around that, but, uh, you know, <laughs> it is what it is, but that's not what I want to talk about. It actually kind of plays into things a little bit in that, you know, the entertainment industry as a whole, which I think also includes the sports industry really would love to be able to control the narrative about fans and for the fans. And again, sort of like we were talking about earlier, you know, when the market doesn't actually and entertainment doesn't serve the consumer or customer, what the hell is it doing? You know, there, there's, there's a, there's a disconnect and a problem there. And as far as people taking advantage of COVID-19, 
this was shared in the Sovereign Tech Telegram group, which by the way, Telegram just had a huge update recently where now they allow you to uh, share two gigabyte files as before it was like 1.25. Very, very nice. Anyway, if you want to join the Telegram group, links are in the show notes to join it. Just have Telegram installed. You click on that link and away you go. You're in, you're done. Um, always great conversations going on there. And I, like I said, I, I am in a lot of Telegram groups and none are as active as, except for maybe one, none of them are, and it has to do with Bitcoin. None of them are as active as the sovereign tech, what I call the sovereign tech polytechnic. Uh, it's a great time in there and just brilliant people sharing great stories. I mean, it's, it's dynamite. Anyway, one of the things that got shared in there by a great listener was a, of all things, a tweet from Fox sports. And basically what's happening is, is that for a, uh, an MLB, you know, major league baseball for a baseball game for baseball games. Now Fox is seemingly experimenting with putting virtual fans in the stands. Now, I don't know exactly how this is working. I guess you can like watch the game, choose an avatar and be in there. No matter how exactly this works, just seeing it. And I'll link to the tweet, even though I was saying you might want to consider not being on Twitter, whatever I'll link to the tweet. You don't have to be on Twitter to look at a lot of tweets. You don't have to have a Twitter account. I should say this looks incredibly disturbing. I mean, it just, it just doesn't look right. And part of what bothers me with this is that, and it's not just about baseball. And I can imagine that, well, probably the players don't like this because, you know, a lot of, a lot of, uh, uh, sportsmen, and it's not cause it's not just baseball, pick your, pick your sport. A lot of the athletes will say that a lot of the athletes, they've got to feel pretty depressed that they don't watch their game after the fact, because, you know, a lot of them are prima donnas and they do that, you know, they watch their game back and they don't get to see the crowd getting all excited. They don't get to interact with the crowd. In fact, I feel like, and, and I, and I decided now I used to have Mets fanitis. I used to suffer from this. Okay. I used to be a baseball fan, but we're talking, you know, the era when I was a fan, we're talking the days of Daryl strawberry, Dwight Gooden, and so on, right. Playing with the Mets, you know, basically when, when the argument was, it was like Ken Griffey, you know, Ken Griffey jr. Particularly, you know, versus Don Manningly and, you know, and then those, those, those kinds, Nolan Ryan, Ryan was still, you know, like the greatest pitcher and you know, that era. Okay. I, I was a fan back then when I was younger. Um, and I, you know, I remember what that looked like. And, and so I decided to watch like a more modern game today. And it feels like you can really see, you can see it in the eyes of the players. There's something missing when you don't have the synergy of the audience there to get, to get hyped up and get everything excited. It's very similar. It's also happening in the wrestling world as well where they're, they're running into the, the, the same problem, but the wrestling world is going to kind of hold a key to, to what I want to talk about here. So these athletes, I mean, you know, they're running into the issue that they have no one there to, you know, lay uh, uh, palm leaves at, at their feet and, and worship them as gods. So they, they have that problem, right? That that's creating issues. This is also happening in the concert industry and so on. And folks, I am not making an argument for, oh, we shouldn't give a shit about COVID-19. Don't wear masks and, you know, let's get into, let's get into the bleachers and everything, blah, blah, blah. No, 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 no. That's not what I'm saying. Um, I think ultimately the entertainment industry as a whole is going to love this. 
Okay. Because something particular, I mean, you, but you, you know, I'll link to the tweet. Just look at it. It just looks fucking disturbing. Okay. But I think that the, the, the money men behind the entertainment industry, probably they just love having control over what audience reaction and like what that narrative on the screen looks like. And that's ultimately what they're going to have here. In the wrestling world, this has been going on for quite a few years now, and it really all started, I want to say it started during John Cena's reign in the WWE, but certainly it became blatant with the the championship reign of Roman Reigns, no pun intended. What the WWE has is a technology that allows them to, as best as possible, change the audio because no hardcore wrestling fan. And those are the people that actually go to wrestling events in the past. And we're talking about, this is far, you know, well before COVID-19 was a thing. This has been going on for years. None of them like Roman Reigns. A lot of them didn't like John Cena, you know, because it was Vince McMahon forcing upon wrestling fans. You need to like this person that I put the strap on that I put the belt on. Okay. Now he did that with Hulk Hogan and it worked, but I think that has to do with the fact that Hulk Hogan is just, you know, this, 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 <laughs> uh, entertainment phenomenon, right? It magically worked with the undertaker. It magically worked with a lot of, or, you know, with, with some characters, it just happened because, you know, like with stone cold, Steve Austin, or even the rock, like it was just the attitude of the era, right? In fact, they even call it the attitude era where people wanted the, the gray character, the anti-hero and so on. Right. But then it got to the point where, okay, well, we can't rely on all these people. So, and also Vince McMahon probably didn't even want to pay half of their paychecks. Okay. So he needed to create new characters. The problem is, is that after the attitude era, wrestling fans got too smart. They became what you call smart marks. Okay. Where they understood the, what was happening behind the curtain. And they didn't like what, you know, who Vince McMahon and, you know, the execs there were bringing out. They didn't like John Cena. They didn't like Roman Reigns. And they were vocal about it. And they were so vocal about it that it became a problem and that it fucked with the narrative that Vince McMahon was trying to put to everybody else, you know, the little kids and whoever else, everybody else on the other side of the television screen. And so they had to find out a way. Now, one is, is that they, you know, they started to pre-qualify what signs you could hold up in the audience, but then they needed to find a way. How do we, you know, when, when the fans are complaining in a way that we don't like, and you can hear them chanting in, you know, in the, the, the auditorium or, you know, whatever, how do we blurb that out? How do we change it? And they basically developed a technology that allowed them to do so, right? Now, this is a problem overall. This is also a problem on Twitter. This is a problem in a lot of different uh, virtual arenas as well as physical arenas. Is that how do we, you know, how do we get people basically to like what we tell them to like, to buy what we tell them to buy? With COVID-19, I think the entertainment industry, which again includes the sports industry, this is a lot, this is giving them a golden opportunity to separate you from the actor, the player, the athlete, the wrestler, the go down the list of entertainment icon 
or avatar by giving you virtual avatars and virtual connections with these people. In fact, it's even happening like with Comic-Con. With Comic-Con, everything's being done online and everybody's talking via Zoom. I mean, the actors, you know, that are established, they've got to love it, right? Because now, oh, thank Satan, I don't have to get in front of those stinking, smelly fans. You know, I don't have to get in front of those dorks anymore. I hope you know, I'm being facetious as far as how I feel about it, but I think that's how they genuinely feel about it. They've got to be so happy that they don't have to show up at, at, at Comic-Con anymore. And there is a wall between them and the plebes, right? Oh, we don't have to actually deal with the peons. Thank you. Really, I think they're loving this, and that's why they're so goddamn supportive of, of everything, you know, no matter how tyrannical or actually... uh how effective anything is that gets laid out about solutions for COVID-19. They love it. They don't want to go back to having to actually like, like interact with you. Are you kidding? I mean, maybe, you know, some rock stars are pissed about it because they can't get with any groupies anymore, but then you weren't going to do that anyway under, <laughs> under the present situation. And, and yeah, this, this is, this is accelerating to the point. And then, you know, add in, as we talked about earlier, Samsung's plans for XR or fucked reality, right? And, you know, the reason that the money people behind all of this love this is that, look, they don't want another scenario where, where an actor or a musician or an athlete or whatever can become bigger than the venue that they're in. As in, they don't want anybody that can become bigger than the sport, bigger than their music, or bigger than the record company, I should say, bigger than the studio, you know, that makes the movie. They don't want these, these powerful, you know, figures to, to become a thing. They don't want any more Hulk Hogan's. They don't want any more, uh, you know, again, they don't want the Beatles again, or a Michael Jackson again, or they don't want, uh, I don't know, pick your, pick your sports person that, that became a bigger deal. Okay. They want to be able, just like the music industry does now. I mean, everybody in the music industry is basically manufactured and they have been for at least 20 years, if not longer. Uh, they want to be able to manufacture and not allow another scenario again to happen like a, like a John Lennon or anything like that. That's, that is the dream of the money people in the entertainment industry and in sports, I'm sure. And this is giving them that because they are putting up a virtual wall between you and the entertainment elite. And I don't like this future. I don't like where this is going. You know, with what's happening with, with, with baseball. I mean, I said it in the telegram group, I said, I wouldn't be surprised if there's going to be some rogue quote unquote, illegal, you know, a uh, 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 farm league that's going to start and you're going to go to like a local game and you're going to go and watch it. But then, Oh shit. You know, there's too many people gathering together and you're going to have, you know, the fucking the national guard or something's going to show up and start shooting people in the bleachers because, ah, oh, this is an illegal gathering. You're playing baseball. Oh, 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 how dare we play sports? Oh. And I mean, is, is the MLB going to have a problem with that? No, of course not. Because then they have, you know, they, they put a corner on the market. You can't even play an independent game of baseball anymore. And you can't even go to the baseball game anymore. It's all going to be virtual. You got to do it all online. You got to sit Sit your ass down in your little chair, peon, okay? 
and you can join virtually. You don't get to interact. You don't get to be there. You don't get to be a part of the fun only in the way that we want you to. That way you don't do anything loot or anything we don't like, or, or you know, uh, I mean, because fuck, you know, one of the best things that could be happening right now, especially during election season, man, let's have some more situations where you have Jesse Ventura at a fucking sports game, standing up, raising his fist and turning his back while the national anthem is playing. Fuck. Yes. I've done that myself at multiple events when the national anthem starts playing. You better believe I'll make a goddamn stink at those places. And now you can't even make a political statement that way when it was a great opportunity to do so because the camera couldn't lie. Now the camera can lie. Now you don't get to, to take part. You do things the way they want you to. You know what I mean? They, them, those. Was this part of the plan? Was this by design? I'm sure there's plenty of people that wanted this sort of thing, but they're definitely taking advantage of the situation. Again, Stallion's not coming out saying COVID-19 is fake or any crap like that. I'm not saying anything of the sort. I am saying, though, that there are people taking advantage of this, and the future that they are building is a terrifying prospect in many ways. And virtual connection can never replace real connection. And maybe that's the best thing, the best note to end this show on. But check out that tweet. I hope that it bothers you as much as it did me and, of course, many other listeners, as was seen in the Telegram group. We'll wrap it up for this week. Uh, of course, if you want to donate to the show, you just hit it up, donate.sovereigntech.com, and that'll get your hookup. I appreciate had a lot of very generous donations recently. Thank you so much. That was always a, just a great help for the show, great boom for the show, and helps vindicate for me what I, you know, what, what we're doing, what we're really building with Sovereign Tech. So that'll be it for this episode. I will see all of you whoo, on the other side. Thank you for listening to Sovereign Tech. And Osiris One Production. Now go out there and make some trouble. <laughs>